Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hurts, and today I welcome back our bi-weekly guest host, Andrew Erickson, to break down all 14 games from the upcoming Week 7 slate. Absolute madness. We have already finished six weeks of the 2020 NFL season, but here we are, and we got plenty of things to talk about with what figures to be a pretty, a pretty exciting slate. Good to see some uh, over-unders get back into the mid-50s here uh, for all of us fantasy football fans out there. But first, want to bring on my man, Andrew. As I said, on this podcast twice a week, you can also catch him on SiriusXM uh, 7 to 9 on Sundays on the Fantasy Sports Channel. Andrew, how's it going, man? Ian, what's up, man? Thursday night football is back. No more Tuesday night. We're back on the regular schedule. I'm still feeling the effects of some pre-workout I had earlier today, so I am amped up and ready to go. I have gone through my uh, daily pot of coffee as well, and I am too <laughs> ready to go. So let's start off with that Thursday night football matchup between the Giants and the Eagles. This one will be played in Philly. Eagles open as six and a half point favorites. We are seeing that drop uh, throughout the week. It is down to four uh, at the time of this recording here on Tuesday afternoon, over under down from 45 and a half to 44. So Daniel Jones and this passing game is a complete disaster. I mean, it really seemed like that uh, after, you know, a slow start of the season, Jason Garrett and company would have to try something. That's something appears to be, you know, trying to use Jones as more of a rushing quarterback, which to his, in his defense, he has been doing a great job running the football. You know, as we like to call every white quarterback out there, sneaky athletic. Daniel Jones actually is sneaky athletic. I mean, he kind of drew some of the Josh Allen comps coming out. I wouldn't get that crazy. You know, we don't have that sort of upside here, I don't think, especially not with uh, the clapper calling the plays. But ultimately, nothing's going to be able to run in this offense except maybe Devontae Freeman because they're giving him the Saquon Barkley role at this point. But everything in this pass game is just an issue because Jones has been pressured on an outrageous 44% of his dropbacks this season. Only Jeff Driscoll and Joe Flacco have faced more consistent duress. We're talking about PFF's number 32 ranked offensive line pass blocking. It's a disaster. But you know what? Jones deserves some of the blame as well. I mean, he has the seventh slowest average release time among 37 qualified quarterbacks. Whether it's Garrett, Jones, offensive line, case of the story is that only if Sterling Shepard remains out can we trust Darius Slayton. Other than that, I want nothing to do with his passing game. Andrew, what do you got on the Eagles? Yeah, so you're going to want to fire up that Eagles DST, get them going. You know, they're one of the league's highest pressure rates, so it should be a recipe for success against Daniel Jones and company. But when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles, I want to start off with everyone's favorite waiver wire darling, Travis Fulgham, who has been balling out over the past three weeks ranked sixth in yards per route run, and it's commanded a whopping 25% target share on the Eagles offense. No one else is stepping up. Zach Ertz is hurt. Miles Sanders is hurt. Deshaun Jackson might be back in the lineup, but that really isn't going to make much of a difference. Fulgham has established himself as that primary X wide receiver. And again, you know, James Bradbury is that one light spot on the New York Giants defense, but they move Fulgham around the formation enough. He's not going to all see James Bradbury. And besides, Fulgham's actually been really good in man coverage this season. So I think that Fulgham can, you know, he can have his own against James Bradbury in certain matchups. Terry McLaurin was fine last week against James Bradbury. Didn't even see him that much. So don't get, you know, carried away with the shadow coverage of a James Bradbury in this spot. So I think the, you know, what you got to do is just chase the targets. Fulgham is getting peppered. And Thursday night, the Giants have allowed the third most receptions to the wide receiver position so far this season. So I think that he's a solid start. And Boston Scott, just want to mention him. You know, Sanders isn't going to play. And I think that, you know, we don't want to suffer from the PTSD of the Alexander Madison, you know, running backs don't matter kind of thing. But again, it's a different situation. Still, let's not get carried away with Boston Scott. He's probably not like an RB1. You don't need to play him necessarily. But again, he's still going to, you know, project to get the most volume in that backfield. So I think that he's still at least a solid RB2 play this week because of his use as a pass catcher, and the Eagles lack those right now. Yeah, I think that's fair on Scott with Miles Sanders expecting to miss one to two weeks. You get him in this Giants game and then against the uh, heralded Cowboys defense that everyone wants to play fantasy players against. And yeah, speaking to Travis Fulgham, hilarious moment last week where Wentz throws up a jump ball. There's Fulgham and then two of the best cornerbacks in the league, Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. They end up on the ground. Fulgham ends up uh, the one in the end zone with the with the touchdown catch. So uh, wild that we're sitting here in week seven. Travis Fulgham is such a thing, but hey, the guy is playing great football. Cannot deny that. Moving on, we got the Panthers at the Saints. Uh, New Orleans opened up at six and a half point favorite, seeing that up to seven and a half over under, holding steady at 51. 
Everyone, it's Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore season. We're talking about Robbie, who is the number eight receiver in target share in the entire league. DJ Moore is number 15. And DJ Moore, his targets mean more than other people's. He is number five in the lead uh, league in air yard uh, market share on his squad. So situation where this whole passing game is flowing through pretty much these two guys. Mike Davis gets his stuff too. But, you know, as we saw last week with that drop off, Mike Davis's targets are a little bit more, you know, defense dependent. If they are able to take away Robbie and DJ, okay, Mike will get his look. Otherwise, it is flowing through these two guys. Both guys continue to make great plays. I mean, DJ, I know he couldn't make the most of his 11 targets last week, but, you know, incompletion is an incompletion. I get it. But the, you know, close one-handed snags he almost had last week, in addition to some of the yak he was showing off, was a good reminder of why, you know, so many have been high on DJ more for all these years. So we've been telling you on this podcast, don't panic about DJ, but also don't be, uh, you know, don't be afraid to treat Robbie as the wide receiver one he's been. That's what we've seen, and I think we're going to continue to see moving forward. Saints secondary, a little bit of a step up, but man, Marshawn Lattimore right now giving up a perfect QB rating on targets into his coverage. I think both these guys can win in a big way in the spot. Andrew, what do you got on the Saints? Yeah, DJ Moore, the team definitely leaned on him a lot more than usual in this mat last week's game because Curtis Samuel was out, which was surprising. So hopefully, you know, if Samuel misses again, I think that they'll do the same thing with DJ Moore. Uh, when it comes to the Carolina Panthers, you know, looking at the Saints offense, it's not a great matchup for Emmanuel Sanders. The Panthers have been really good against the slot so far this season. They've allowed the second lowest yards per attempt to slot wide receivers and just over four catches per game. So Emmanuel Sanders is someone that we're not really sure how things might shake out. You know, Michael Thomas is presumably going to make his return to the lineup. You know, he's fresh off the suspension. Hopefully he hasn't punched anybody. So he's going to be good to go. And I just don't think you need to jam Sanders into your lineup. Again, he's kind of been on the fringe of a wide receiver you were kind of starting anyway. So I think it's really more, hey, take a wait-and-see approach. I mean, he only saw five targets back in week one. He did catch a touchdown, but if he's going to be working out of the slot, I don't like that matchup there. And Thomas is going to be, you know, the target hog, you know, presumably. So I think that you don't need to play Sanders this week. You can kind of put him on your bench and kind of see how things play out with Michael Thomas back. Yeah, I love the thought of loading up on Michael Thomas and DFS this week. Obviously, you're starting him in season long, but people are going to want to see it uh, before they go back to the well, so might be able to get a big game against, you know, this James Bradbury, less Panthers secondary. Don't think they'll be able to hold Michael. They've never really been able to hold Michael Thomas in check, but at least Bradbury made life difficult in the past. Not so much anymore. Uh, moving on, we got the Bills at the Jets. Buffalo opened up as 10-point favorites. That's up to 12.5 over under holding steady at 48. Josh Allen bounce back season is here, everyone. It is absolutely fine to continue to treat him as a top five quarterback. I have him ranked number two uh, this week. It's a Jets defense that, you know, in 2018, 2019, didn't exactly light up through the air, but we did see him have all sorts of success in week one. And I think, you know, the chemistry he's developed with Diggs uh, since then could even mean more more goodness through the air. But it's been the rushing upside that we've just seen again and again against this uh, Jets defense. Three career matchups. Allen's got nine carries, 101 yards and a touchdown. 10 carries, 38 yards and a touchdown. And this season, 14 carries, 57 yards, and touchdown. Even when Josh Allen has these you know, erratic Josh Allen games where it's like an entertaining 50% completion rate with multiple boneheaded decisions thrown in there, he's still a great fantasy quarterback, you know, even when the real-life uh, question looms a little bit larger than usual. So keep going back to bank with this rushing upside. We see it, you know, with Cam Newton last week, uh, Lamar Jackson throughout this season. Even when these quarterbacks have bad games, because they have such a high rushing floor, it's perfectly okay in fantasy land Andrew thoughts on the Jets if you have any yeah it's uh had to do some <clears throat> real digging to find anything good about the New York Jets especially considering they're starting Lamar Jackson in their secondary not the not the other Lamar Jackson this this other you know undrafted guy so Jameson Crowder is kind of in probably the most smashed spot against the Bills defense that's been pretty vulnerable against the slot third most completions of slot wide receivers this season and he's been he's kind of had the Bills number over the past couple of games in his last three games against the Bills. He's averaged over 12 targets, nine catches and 93 receiving yards in his last three games versus Buffalo. So I think that you got to feel confident about Jamison Crowder. So if you want to do a Bills onslaught in DFS and bring it back with Jamison Crowder, I think that'll work. And if you're looking for some salary saver money, you know, a player, Brashad Perryman, he's thirty seven hundred dollars on DraftKings. He had four catches for 62 yards and eight targets in week six. He had, you know, 10 fantasy points and his actually his salary price point went down because nobody played him because uh, the DraftKings algorithm works a lot on ownership. So nobody's on him and he should be able to see plenty of Josh Norman. So Josh Norman has been 
absolutely atrocious this year. He ranks 96th among qualifying cornerbacks in PFF's coverage grade so far in the last two weeks in relief of Levi Wallace. So, Prashad Perriman, you need a dart throw. He's targeted deep. He sees a lot of air yards, a lot of targets uh, down the field. So, yeah, that, that's my take on the Jets. Was on a different podcast uh, this morning. Roto Underworld with uh, Matt Kelly. Check that one out, everyone. But had the same takeaway as you, Andrew, that Brashad Perryman is a great under-the-radar play this week. He was actually uh, looking at it now. The number nine receiver in total air yards last week. Multiple occasions where Flacco wasn't able to put it on him. Okay, that's a reality for anyone in the Jets offense. But uh, to your point at 3,700, he is a perfectly worthy DFS flyer. Uh, next matchup here, we got Browns at the Bengals. Cleveland sitting as three and a half point favorites over under 51 and a half happy kareem hunt bell cow week i think this is truly the week that you know you want kareem hunt in every dfs lineup you make cash and tournament alike because i think the true breakout that we just haven't seen yet is coming and look he was awesome against this Bengals defense the first time they played uh 10 carries 86 yards and a tutty on the ground another two catches with 15 yards and a second score through the air since then we've seen the Bengals lose multiple starters across the defensive line they are a shell of the same already bad defense they were at that point i just think that you know the kind of game script the last two weeks have kind of given Hunt these underwhelming volume numbers but if you look a little bit closer in week five situation where Hunt uh, was cramping in the fourth quarter so we saw Darius Johnson get most of his carries during that stretch and then last week pretty much the entire Browns offense uh, was off the field you know in that fourth quarter with Baker Mayfield just not being able to do anything so would imagine strategy per usual don't let Baker throw the ball as much as you possibly can help it and with that in mind I mean over the first just so quarters one through three in these last two games before we got the funky game script quarters one through three Hunt's played 70% of the offensive snaps Darius Johnson just 20 27%. Then Hunts had 27 carries and six targets compared to just five carries and two targets for Deonis Johnson. This is not a 1A, 1B backfield. This is a Kareem Hunt show, and we're going to see that in a big way in week seven. Andrew, what do you got on the Bengals? So the Bengals, it's about T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. They're still the top two options. Don't be fooled by this A.J. Green renaissance of sorts that he posted in week six. You know, eight grabs for 96 yards. But the, what I'll say is, again, the matchup's there. The Cleveland Browns have allowed the second most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers over the past four weeks. So all the receivers are in really good spots. But for Green, I, I have one concern again. So he's most likely going to match up with Denzel Ward. So that's one kind of knock against him. And then the other thing is something that I looked at, you know, looking at his stat line, he actually had the, a lot of his yards last week come against uh, linebacker Anthony Walker in coverage. So again, you know, we've been complaining about AJ Green and the fact that, hey, this guy's not getting open. And okay, yeah, he got open against the linebacker. That's, you know, you know, pat yourself on the back, AJ Green, you did your job. But the other thing that I noticed about him is his targets have actually fluctuated significantly when Auden Tate has not been in the lineup. Ian, I know Auden Tate's your guy. And I'm not sure if Joe Burrow was like, hey, I thought I was throwing to Auden Tate. I know they were 18 and 19. So maybe Joe Burrow was thinking he was throwing to Auden Tate. But the targets have fallen significantly when Auden Tate has been inactive. So basically, there's been three games where Tate has either been inactive or just seen basically no snaps. And in those games, Green has averaged 11 targets. In all the other games when Tate has been active, Green has averaged just under four targets per game. So I think that it's important to just keep an eye on that. You know, if you have Green... You know, in your lineup, keep an eye on to see if Tate's active or not, because I think that could make an actual difference. Um, and it would it would be a reason that I would get off of Green in DFS. He's really he's really cheap at forty three hundred, um, but it's just something that I noticed. Yeah, you know, we got Joe Burrow leading the NFL in dropbacks right now. So whoever's going to be out there in three wide receiver sets, even Dusty, old A.J. Green, will have a chance to get production from time to time. Uh, next matchup, we got the Dallas Cowboys at the Washington football team. Cowboys are sitting pretty as three-point favorites over under is at 49. So, you know... If you listen to the podcast uh, yesterday, and I was recording late Monday night, you know, like 1230, uh, didn't have many good things to say about the Cowboys offense. And I still don't because now things are somehow even worse. If Zach Martin's going to actually miss an extended period of time, we're talking no Tyron Smith, no Zach Martin, Travis Frederick retired, no Leo Collins, Joe, Joe Looney, the backup for Frederick, he's been out as well. So just a situation where, again, I, I never quite got the whole fascination with trying to say this was for sure the best surrounding cast of Dalton's career. I understand 
and the you know 2010s Bengals didn't exactly trot out the league's best offensive line also but this isn't even just you know an average offensive line at this point this is an atrocious unit that is holding back the entire offense and all these shiny weapons we got a wide receiver I mean this isn't even it, look if Dalton was playing great football behind the offensive line that'd be one thing clearly didn't see that uh, last week and I don't think this is that good of a get right spot man we've seen the well, Washington football team be fairly stingy against opposing passing attacks I think we're going to see them with Kyle Allen playing a little bit less uh, turnover prone ball I think than uh, we saw with Haskins uh, a little bit earlier in the year obviously still give me Haskins but Kyle Allen against this Cowboys defense I think can at least uh, keep them afloat and when I look at the Cowboys I don't know if they're gonna be able to get around this defensive line man Chase Young Deron Payne Jonathan Allen Montez Sweat Ryan Kerrigan Ryan Anderson they have so many elite bodies on this Washington football team defensive line I think they're you know uniquely suited to deal with this version of the Cowboys offense better than most and I'm just you know other than Zeke Lamb Cooper I'm not even feeling great about them I know you're still firing up in season long leagues but I'm staying away in DFS land man where you on the football team yeah, I love the football team's DST this week. They are very, very cheap, so I'm going to love them. I think they're at 2500 on, on DraftKings, so I got them locked in, ready to go. But the Washington football team, I mean, you got to love, you know, for all the reasons that you hate the Dallas offense, you got to love the, the Washington offense because they're going against the Dallas D. The Dallas D basically ranks bottom 12 in terms of fantasy points allowed against every single position in fantasy football. So Kyle Allen, he's available in waiver wires. You need a quarterback. Stream him. I mean, he could do it. We've seen Allen, you know, put up numbers in solid matchups, and, and this is a good spot. So I'm not afraid to go to Kyle Allen. I think Antonio Gibson is in a great buy low spot. You know, after a poor performance last week, he should be able to have a really productive outing in this game. And, and Terry McLaurin, man, I don't understand his price on DraftKings at 5,900 coming off a 12 target game. That seems just to me, mind-boggling that he's that cheap and, you know, basically against the worst defense in the NFL. And he's been a good, I mean, he's a top 12 wide receiver. So to see him in that situation doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I think that one of the reasons why this Washington football team can succeed is the fact of the use of play action. So Dallas has faced the fourth highest play action rate this season, and they've actually allowed the third highest passer rating against those types of throws on the year. And since Allen took over at quarterback, Washington has ramped up their use of play action. And McLaurin ranks sixth in the NFL in targets off play action. So you're going to see the play action fakes to Gibson and deep throws to McLaurin for a lot of touchdowns uh, in week seven. Air yard target share when they do throw the ball, he's usually on the other end of it. I cannot get behind you recommending Kyle Allen as a streamer, but I am with you with uh, McLaurin and Gibson being set up well this week. This is, you know, I just don't think the upside is quite there, but story for another day. Quick shout out to our sponsors at pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items up for auction. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. And we are currently giving away a signed Amari Cooper jersey, so make sure you rate and review the podcast, and we will be choosing a winner next week thanks to the fine folks at pristineauction.com. Be sure to use code PFF. Next matchup we got here, Packers at the Texans. Look, it all comes down to one question. Did what we saw with Aaron Rodgers last week, was that a fluke or not? And right now, the odds makers don't really seem to think it's too much of a fluke. Packers open as three-point favorites, only up to three and a half uh, over-unders, you know, sitting around 56. So certainly not a situation where we're seeing the Packers being treated like one of the te- uh, league's top teams that they certainly resembled over the first five weeks of the season. But the problem for Rodgers, and it's not necessarily going to be solved immediately, was simple. It was pressure. It's pretty hard to throw when you're consistently on your back, and that's exactly what happened to him in week six. In weeks one through five, and, and they had a bye week thrown in there, just so it was four games but uh rogers had 31 pressure dropbacks uh 21 pressure rate in week six he had 18 pressure dropbacks alone and faced a 44 percent pressure rate big deal was losing a left tackle david bakhtiari to a chest injury beginning of the end there now the houston texans should not be confused with tampa bay buccaneers i get that but you know they've still been a pretty solid at getting after opposing qbs at 33 percent pressure rate so Cozy schedule, cozy start to the season for the Packers. We saw the floor. I don't think this is another floor game for Rodgers and company. You know, Devontae Adams is going to eat. I get that. But just keep in mind that, you know, this is the, you know, potential kryptonite of this Packers offense. He had the second coziest pressure rate in the first four games of the season. If this is going to become a situation where Rodgers has to run around for his life, receivers aren't separating as much, I think that's how the Packers offense could continue to stall. We're going to see better days ahead, and I, I do think Rodgers still deserves to be a high-end fantasy QB1 in this matchup. But, you know, if you're wondering what happened to that Packers offense, pressure. 
Andrew, what do you got on Deshaun Watson and company? Yeah, so I actually really want to talk about the the running back position, David Johnson. I mean, Will Fuller, I think I'm not going to, I don't know if I'm going to be on him in DFS this week. Again, he's got a tough matchup. Jair Alexander has been really, really good this year. PFF second best cornerback in coverage grade this so far. And again, Will Fuller's price is, is going up now. So he's not, you know, below 6K. He's appropriately priced as a wide receiver one. So it might be a little bit too pricey for me to get out to him. But David Johnson is at 5.3K on DraftKings. And this is it. You know, David Johnson, this is his statement game where he needs to separate himself from these dusty old veterans that have just completely poofed this season and prove that, hey, I still got some, you know, gas left in the tank because this is it. This is the spot. I mean, the Packers have been atrocious against running backs this season. Most fantasy points allowed to the position over the past four weeks. David Johnson has averaged, you know, 19 and a half touches per game under the new coaching regime. So they are feeding this guy. And I mean, he's been performing under expectations, you know, over the last two weeks, according to PFF's expected fantasy points model, you know, he should have been averaging close to 20 fantasy points per game. He's, he's been down around 12. So this is it for David Johnson. I mean, if he doesn't put it up now, then I'll admit that he he's dust and he's just, he's just old. He can't get it done. He's been in a situation where he's been stopped the one yard line a lot, which I think is more indicative of the offensive line than the running back. And also, I mean, I've counted three uh, targets this season where better ball from Deshaun Watson, likely touchdown uh, from David Johnson. So I really don't think he's quite dust, but certainly hasn't made the most out of this uh, fantasy friendly workload thus far. Uh, next matchup, we got the Lions and the Falcons. Sneaky shootout here. Uh, maybe not all that sneaky because the over under is at 56 and a half. So Likely shoot out here. Let's go with that word uh, instead. Falcons uh, opened up as two-point favorites, now up to three. So I think uh, what we need to look at with this Lions team is that Kenny G and Marvin Jones, you know, just like we saw last week with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, these guys are set up beautifully. And it's a, a Detroit Lions offense that I think we should expect to see get back to throwing the ball downfield because that's what they've been doing over the past few weeks. I mean, the first three weeks of the year, Stafford didn't get over a 9.2-yard average target depth. Now with Kenny Galladay back playing a full-time role, he was at 11.8 in week four. He was at 10 in week six. Galladay has scored in the first two games of the year and then went for over 100 yards last week. Still not seeing much from Marvin Jones. He doesn't look great out there. You know, I'll admit that. But, you know, he's still playing almost in every down roll. And if you're going to get right, it's probably going to be against this Falcons secondary. So I think we have to keep their foot on the gas. You know, maybe DeAndre Swift can keep his targets going. A little concerned about, you know, him breaking away from this backfield. Talked about it on the uh, waiver Wire episode of the podcast. You know, just with Adrian Peterson still being there and carry on Agnew as well. Not ideal, but, you know, Stafford, just one game this year with three scores and has yet to clear 300 passing yards. Would not be surprised if he's able to hit both those milestones in this absolute smash spot. Andrew, thoughts on the Falcons? Yeah, I just want, they need to unleash TJ Hawkinson. It just, it just needs to happen. But talking about the Atlanta Falcons, I think that, Obviously, their passing offense is set up to absolutely smash. Got Julio Jones back, so you can start Matt Ryan with some confidence because he's only good when Julio Jones is healthy, as we've seen throughout this season. But the player that I'm kind of wanting to avoid a little bit, especially when it comes to DFS, is Todd Gurley. I think that he's still kind of in that sell-high position. Again, we've talked about it on the podcast before about Gurley and how he hasn't really been active in the passing game. Now, now that's actually changed a little bit in the past couple of weeks. He has been more, you know, active in a receiving role. But again, that's not something that I would be relying on. It's been a lot of due to the game flow and the things that have been going on. But, you know, last week, you know, the Lions came out of the bye week and we see teams kind of adjust sometimes when they come out. And, you know, everyone, a lot of people were on James Robinson and he did nothing. He rushed for 29 rushing yards on 12 attempts. The Lions looked much better on run defense. And I mean, Curley hasn't exactly lit up the scoreboard as a rusher so far this year. So again, Gurley has, you know, seen more work in the passing game as of late, but I just, I can't get on him, you know, even in a matchup that looks really favorable on paper. And, you know, you look at last week, you know, he couldn't get anything going against the Minnesota Vikings and, and they have PFF's 28th, 28th run grade defense so far this year. He averaged 2.4 yards per attempt. Again, Yards per attempt isn't something I, you know, want to use for all my analysis, but again, it's it's just something to kind of refer to when you're looking at, okay, he, he wasn't that great, and it's not like the offensive line has, has played well this year. With you there. Next matchup, Steelers at the Titans. We are seeing the Steelers, you know, 
playing great ball. Undefeated team, uh, Ben Rossberger, maybe not the same gunslinger from past years, but uh, playing well enough to be two-point favorites against the similarly undefeated Tennessee Titans. Uh, Over-under has dropped from 52.5 to uh, 51.5. So I think this is the time to trade James Conner if you can get a decent offer for him. We have seen Conner have a great start to the season, has scored in four consecutive weeks, gone over 100 rushing yards in three of his last four games. The reason I want to sell him is because all those injury concerns that caused people not to draft him in the first place still very much a possibility and you know we're seeing a situation where it's not the same Steelers offense we saw in 2018 Ben is not throwing as much he's not throwing downfield as much and he's not throwing to Connor as much I mean only 15 targets through five games this dude had 71 targets in 13 games in 2018 he's not the true three down workhorse anymore he's still getting a ton of run you know 15 to 20 even you know best case scenario we're looking at 25 touches per week that's valuable and everything but you know similar to Gurley hasn't exactly been out there looking like you know the best version of him himself even if he is putting up some numbers at the moment and without that receiving floor I think an offense that isn't going to present as much upside as usual it's not great we got Benny Snell uh, McFarland even uh, Jalen Samuels it's truly a, like a four back committee I understand Connor is clearly the lead dog he's not splitting up the work but you know one nick and bruise one more week one situation who knows what happens if Connor's able to uh, come out on top so he's been you know the consistent RB1 that we would hope he'd be while he's healthy you know Take, take that, be happy you got it, be happy you know you made it out of these first uh, five Steelers games, you know, with four of them that b- being pretty good for Connor. Try to sell high, get someone that, you know, we don't have as troubling of an injury history on. So, you know, I'm happy it's worked out with James Connor, but I think this is the point. We get rid of him, try to get someone a little more consistent here moving forward. Andrew, Titans. On, on right on with you with the James Connor sell for a trade. With the Titans, again, so you have the unstoppable force reaches the immovable object, which is the Steelers defense. So for me, I look at this matchup and again, I mean, I don't think Derek, I mean, Derek Henry played the worst run defense last year, so it's not going to be a repeat of last week. It just can't be, you know, Pittsburgh's run defense is basically number one in you know, almost a lot of the statistical categories. And, and that's why I actually like Tannehill. I think that a lot of people might be off Tannehill because of the fact, oh, well, they're playing Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, you know, gets pressure to the quarterback. But, I mean, their secondary has been very susceptible. And because the run defense is so good, they create, you know, what we like to call in, in fantasy land this, this pass funnel. So that's why I think that Ryan Tannehill is in a pretty good spot this week to actually kind of expose that. So you look at the Steelers, they've allowed the third most air yards per game to opposing quarterbacks. And before Baker Baker Mayfield laid a total egg against them, I mean, they had allowed over 20 fantasy points per game to Daniel Jones, Jeff Driscoll, Carson Wentz. I mean, not your guys that are playing at an elite level, which Ryan Tannehill is this season. He's playing at an absolute elite level. And the thing with him is what he's been doing better than any other quarterback is under pressure. So he has a seven to zero touchdown interception ratio, which ranks number one league under pressure. And he has the number one quarterback rating under pressure, 110.5. His pass rating under pressure is actually better than his passer rating in a clean pocket. So for me, I think that Ryan Tannehill, he can make the most of, you know, what this Pittsburgh defense offers. And even if they can't get the grunt game going, I mean, he's going to be able to make it plays with AJ Brown, with his playmakers. So uh, yeah, I'm going to be starting Ryan Tannehill. I am with you. And also, Steelers losing Devin Bush. Do not underestimate that injury we saw a couple years ago. Once Ryan Shazier was removed from the picture, you take away that, you know, true sideline to sideline middle linebacker. It can cause some problems. Uh, maybe, you know, part of the root of the problem with the Cowboys, uh, Jalen Smith contract, not quite working out the way they would have thought. All right, Seahawks at the Cardinals. We're seeing Seattle uh, three and a half point favorites over under opened up 54 and a half. Now up to 56 and a half. So Seahawks obviously on a bye last week, but I just want to kind of break down just how absurd Russell Wilson has been uh, throwing the deep ball this year. You know, we define deep balls as uh, balls that went at least 20 yards downfield. And so this year, at least uh, there's been 24 quarterbacks that have thrown uh, more than 15 deep ball attempts. And Russell Wilson is first in every single one of these categories I'm about to list. But PFF passing grade, 99.9 big time throws. 13 turnover worthy plays, zero yards per attempt, 22 adjusted completion rate, 63.6%, and QB rating 143. Truly, I mean, when Russell Wilson lost that ball deep off your television screen and you're just wondering if it's going to be Metcalf or Lockett, you know, even David Moore, doesn't matter. Russell Wilson throws the prettiest deep ball in the game, and it is fantastic to watch the results so far. I think against this Cardinals secondary that looked okay against Andy Dalton and company. No, we're going to see Russ continue to cook. Coming out of this by expect more fireworks. Andrew, what's up with the Cardinals? 
Yeah, so I think the, the most popular player of the Cardinals right now is Kenyon Drake. You know, he obviously went off on, on Monday Night Football against the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, it's complete oversight by, you know, DraftKings when we look at the the prices. Draft, you know, Kenyon Drake is listed as at 4800 which is actually lower than Chase Edmonds. So, again, this is, you know, that's a very you know, attainable and attractive price point for Kenyon Drake. But for me, I don't know if I can, you know, look at him as more than a fade. I, I think I don't really want to play him at that. You know, the price point's obviously great, but just looking at the situation, I mean, everything was perfect for him in this past game. You know, the game script was perfect. He had the late touchdown, but he's not still not seeing the involvement in the passing game. You know, Chase Edmonds still, you know, has that role. And I just don't know if we're going to see that type of perfect game script again. You know, Seattle presents a, presents a much larger threat on offense than the Andy Dalton-led Dallas Cowboys. And Seattle's actually been really good against the run this year. You know, PFS third best run defensive grade. So, you know, they could get Jamal Adams back. You know, there are rumors that we could see Damon Snacks Harrison, who Pete Carroll claimed looked very schvelt. You know, in recent practices, you know, he could be coming back and he's a monster, you know, up the middle. So for me, I think that this is a perfect time to, to sell Kenyon Drake, you know, try to, you know, capitalize on the island game where he absolutely blew up because I just think that, you know, everything kind of played out perfectly for him on Monday night. And I just don't envision that happening in this game. Two touchdowns for Kenyon Drake on Monday night. I'm not sure if a single finger touched him on either of those. Uh, Chiefs at Broncos. We got Casey as nine-point favorites, 48.5-point uh, game total. So with Le'Veon Bell potentially coming back this week, I think we need to continue to treat Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as the RB1 he's basically been this season. You know, God forbid if this guy can find the end zone once or twice, we'll really be talking. I think Le'Veon takes away the chances of a CEH, you know, emerging as that, you know, true top five back that we we were hoping uh, him to be. But look, they drafted Clyde edwards Lair in the round one, thinking they would have Damian Williams before, you know, he decided to opt out due to COVID. So I think Le'Veon Bell, best case scenario, is just going to take that Clyde Edwards, I'm sorry, the Damian Williams role that they wanted him to have. So Daryl Williams would seemingly be kicking the curb. Maybe not immediately. You know, this is a revenge game here. Uh, or No, I'm sorry. Not a revenge game here, but uh, Le'Veon Bell, you know, has something to prove, obviously, coming off uh, these tumultuous years with the with the Jets. I just think a situation where he's not washed, Jets' O-line was so bad, and, you know, okay, is he going to get enough touches to be truly fantasy relevant week to week? I don't think so, but it's an upgrade over Daryl Williams. Come on. So I think it's a situation similar to what we saw in Tampa Bay and Fournette coming there where if Le'Veon comes in, makes the most of, you know, a good matchup and limited touches, be ready to sell because I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is locked in as that number one RB, just like Ronald Jones is with Tampa. Uh, if you can still go get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and people are freaking out about this, don't be afraid to do so. We're still looking at you know a top 12 option at the running back position more weeks than not. He did, everyone, score a touchdown from inside the 10-yard line. Unfortunately, it got nullified on a hold. So you can keep your you know it's inside the 10 stats for another week, Andrew, but uh, he's going to find the end zone at some point. Uh, where you got on the Broncos? Yes, one one can only hope he finally finds that end zone. Um, so Drew Locke. So Drew Locke owns the highest average depth of target so far this season among quarterbacks. So again, the Chiefs are heavy favorites in this game. I think they're almost at 10-point favorites. And I think that the Broncos can maybe keep pace in this game. I think that Locke can push the... He's shown that he's been pushing the ball downfield. And basically the way I'm looking at Locke is he's kind of turning into what we kind of saw with Daniel Jones. And it makes sense because you had the offensive coordinator change. Pat Shermer came over from the Giants. And now we're seeing Daniel Jones turn into a dink and dunk master. And Drew Locke, you know, is now a guy that's slinging the ball downfield. I mean, he was, you know, targeting Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, and Albert... Uh, you know, I'm not going to just try to try say his name, Albert O. He was hitting all these guys downfield. You know, Tim Patrick led the NFL in air yards in week six. Rookie, you know, Jerry Judy leads the, leads the team in passing plays over 15 yards. So again, I think that you're going to look at this matchup and think, okay, I can't play any, I can't play Tim Patrick. I can't play, you know, Jerry Judy. But I think that, you know, the Broncos are going to have to throw in this game. And I think that, you know, even if the Chiefs get up big, I think that we actually could actually see some potential catch up points for some of these Broncos receivers. So I think from a DFS perspective, I think this is an interesting game that you could potentially stack. And again, like I mentioned, the Chiefs are tough against fantasy wide receivers, fifth best, but they face the highest deep ball percentage, 25.7%. So Locke is going to take some shots. Uh, he's definitely not afraid to, and you know, they could be intercepted. We, we don't know. That's what we saw last week. But you know, Tim Patrick has shown that he can go up and get the ball. So I actually like uh, Tim Patrick a lot, you know, 30% target share over the past two weeks. So um, he's he owns PFF's third best receiving grade on targets of 20 yards or more. 
Absolutely love what AFC West Jameis is doing out there. And I do think Jerry Judy could be the next kind of big rookie breakout to happen. Just love his route running. Have loved it all season. Tim Patrick's out there making plays with you too. I do think he's viable, particularly at that under 5K DraftKings price point. But don't be afraid to go take a chance on Jerry Judy, people. It's not the best two matchups these next two weeks, but then he gets the Falcons and Raiders, and that's when we will be talking serious Jerry Judy breakout potential. Uh, quick shout-out to our sponsors at Monkey Knife Fight. All first-time depositors that put at least $20 in their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription, $40 value for just $20, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Next matchup here, we got the Jaguars at the Chargers, uh, seeing LAC as 7.5 point favorites, uh, 49 point over under. So Gardner Minshew has actually, I thought he had a pretty good game last week, even though it didn't necessarily reflect that in the stat sheet. Before Monday Night Football, I haven't checked after. He was the QB 10 and fantasy points, mostly because he scored the first rushing touchdown of his career. How about that? You know, I think he was fifth in the league in rushing yards last season, but just a guy that's always looking to throw first. And we've seen the rushing upside drop off a little bit this year because he's only doing it when he's scrambling. So if he's going to decide to throw the ball more, uh, should expect, you know, the rushing Floor not to be quite as high, but it was good to see him finally skirt his way into the end zone. But again, this game, just it wasn't quite as bad as it was made out to be. Because all in all, Jaguars were charged with as many drops in week six, four, as they had in weeks one through five combined. I mean, a couple of deep balls, one to DJ Chark, one to Keelan Cole, I believe, could have put Minshew over 300 yards alone uh, if they had brought those down. So, you know, Chargers defense that, hey, very, it's incredible they can still be this good without Derwin James, without Chris Harris, and a banged-up version of Joey Boza. But I do think Minshew, uh, Chark, maybe even LaVisca Chanel can uh, get a big game going and at least provide uh, some, you know, this is actually, I know I mistakenly called the Falcons game a sneaky shootout. This is a sneaky shootout right now, seeing that game total uh, at 49. I do think, you know, the way Herbert's playing, uh, if he's getting healthy Keenan and Mike Williams out there, he can put up points. I think Minshew can potentially keep pace uh, with Chark and those guys. I know they got blown out last week, but, you know, these last few weeks, if you change a few plays around then uh you know i do think they would have been a little more competitive and we could finally see uh that you know kind of back and forth matchup we've been looking for with the jaguars uh what do you got on justin herbert and company andrew it's crazy to think how well justin herbert's played considering the teams that he's faced so far he's faced one of the more difficult strengths of schedules for quarterbacks and yet he's delivered in almost every spot and now he goes on a really nice stretch starting with the jacksonville jaguars of basically layup after layup so I mean, if you have Justin Herbert, you're definitely, you're starting him and you're loving it right now. But what I want to look at is the running backs for the Chargers. So, you know, Joshua Kelly, Justin Jackson are taking over. You know, Austin Eckler is still on injured reserve. So, you know, the Jaguars have been destroyed by running backs. The season fourth most fantasy points allowed over the past four weeks. So, and I think the biggest thing too is the Chargers are getting back two of their starting offensive linemen. Uh, Trey Turner and Brian Bulaga are coming back. And I think that had a lot to do with the struggles of, you know, Joshua Kelly. You know, his yards per carry was not good. But again, you know, the Saints defense, and I mentioned before, they had a tough schedule. They weren't really playing a lot of soft run defenses for the most part. So I think that Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson are actually both viable starters. I saw Joshua Kelly get dropped in a lot of places because people were like, hey, Justin Jackson's taking over. But again, I think it's still this system is a two running back system. You know, Joshua Kelly will still kind of operate on more or less on early downs and Justin Jackson will kind of take on that Eckler role, you know, being sprinkled in with carries, but also being the pass catching back. So I think that in this spot against a really weak Jacksonville run defense, I think that both of them are actually really viable options because we know that it's a clear two-man and, you know, running back system. Yeah, Jackson Kelly, poor man's version of 2019 Eckler Gordon, for sure. Uh, next matchup here, we got the 49ers at the Patriots. Pats opened up uh, as five and a half point favorites. That is down to two and a half over under holding steady around 45 and a half. So Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, had maybe the most uninspiring three touchdown performance I think we've ever seen uh, the other day. And look, I don't want to hate on the guy too much, but a uh, cool stat we have at PFF is air yard percentage. So it's just, you know, how many of your actual passing yards have come through the air and how much of that has been yards after the catch. So the bottom five quarterbacks, we got Sam Darnold at 47%, Joe Flacco 46%, Kyle Allen 44%, and Dwayne Haskins 38%. So these guys, you know, just consistently being helped with yards after the catch and they're not throwing anything like down the field that's being converted 
Jimmy G is in dead last at 32%, a full six percentage points, you know, behind uh, the other guy. I mean, you know, I was joking around on Twitter about some of the targets to uh, Debo Samuel last week. You know, hey, Jimmy G, I will give him all the credit in the world for existing and that, you know, that half second between getting the snap and then, you know, tossing the ball about two inches in front of you right into the chest of Debo Samuel before he makes something happen. He's killing that. And okay, I know the slant to George Kittle with the, you know, cover zero blitz on fourth down. That was nice. He can still put the ball in some places, but clearly I think, you know, still someone that Shanahan is worried about his health. He's certainly not asking him to win the game right now. And then a matchup against the Patriots team that, you know, seemingly knows his tendencies. I would guess they know him pretty well. They had him there on the team long enough and is still, you know, proven to be a tough defense, even with all those, you know, front seven opt-outs they had, not the spot to really trust anyone other than Kittle in this uh, game, I don't think. What do you have in the Patriots? Yeah, Debo Samuel, I think what he told, I think it was negative 30 air yards <laughs> in week six. Something like something crazy. When I was looking at the air yards, I was like, wow, negative 30. Oh, that's he, great. I think he had 66 receiving yards, but like 95 yards after the catch. Just, just absolute madness. <laughs> absolute insanity. So with the Patriots, man, they absolutely laid a freaking egg against the Broncos and, and Drew Locke, you know, at home. Again, you know, Bill Belichick said it after. He's like, yeah, you know, it would have been helpful, you know, if we had practice, you know, so we could, you know, be prepared for the game. So, again, I would not, you know, look at this game for the Patriots last week and make that the reality. There's, I can't imagine they're ever going to play, you know, that poorly again. You know, Cam was missing from practice. You know, he wasn't even supposed to play. And then, you know, they ended up changing the game plan. It was just, it was a mess, you know, for the most part with all of this COVID nonsense. So, but right now, you know, Cam is definitely still kind of the only New England Patriots player you can really trust. I mean, the running backs are kind of a mess. You know, they're splitting it three ways. You know, James White's only good if they're trailing. And in this game, it seems more like it would be a slog rather than, you know, the Patriots having to play catch up. So, you know, James White doesn't really, you know, pop up as a, an option. But what I will say is, you know, if you, you know, looking for a wide receiver, you know, Julian Edelman has a 30% target share with Cam Newton in the lineup. And, this is one thing where, you know, if you're comparing it to like a T.Y. Hilton situation where, okay, well, Hilton has actually guys behind him that are stepping up. That's not the case with New England. Like, it's Julian Edelman, and that's pretty much it. Nikhil Harry is running through cement. Demir Bird is running sprints on the outside. And I think that Edelman is an interesting buy candidate. You know, he was dealing with a knee injury, and that may have been, you know, part of the reason why he's playing less snaps. You know, they're trying to keep him, you know, upright, you know, for the remainder of the season. Josh McDaniels came out earlier this week and said that, hey, we need to get Edelman going because he is their best offensive player besides Cam. So they need to get him going. And, you know, the 49ers actually have, you know, are vulnerable against slot receivers. They've allowed the fourth highest quarterback rating to the slot and the third highest touchdown percentage to the slot receiver. So I think that Edelman is a really interesting buy candidate. You can get him really cheap because I honestly wouldn't be surprised if people have already dropped him. I mean, going into this, I was not going to come out and say, oh, yeah, buy Julian Edelman. Like, he's a great player to pick up and try to get. I was not thinking that at all, but I looked more at it. And it's like, like, he's the guy that's going to get the targets. And no one else is stepping up on that offense. So... I think that he is a player that I think that, you know, you got to trust the process, you know, that, you know, Cam and Edelman are going back and forth on Instagram, you know, tagging each other, doing their thing. So they have the chemistry there. And yeah, I think that Edelman is a, an interesting buy candidate and, and he's shown already this year. He has a ceiling. You know, we had that huge game against Seattle. So that's another thing that kind of differs him from the AJ greens and the Hilton's of the world. They haven't had really those blow up games at all. You know, we saw it with Edelman and Cam. So we know it's at least in the range of outcomes. Two notes for the uh, audio listeners out there. One, Andrew and I are wearing the same PFF hat backwards, which was a bad mistake, but my hair looks bad. So we're going to keep that rolling for now, but we'll work on that in future episodes. Two, Andrew has a Julian Edelman jersey hanging in his room over his left shoulder. So I'm sure you were wearing that as you know, we're going over these stats, just looking for something to uh, give you to step up. I do I do agree no one's exactly going to be taking this job. I think the upside's lower in past years, but that doesn't mean he can't put together a good week as we saw in that blow up spot against the Seahawks so don't hate it but yeah I mean he's, his value I don't think will be lower the rest of the season so uh next matchup here Sunday night football we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Las Vegas Raiders uh Bucks opened up as two point favorites that is up to three over under staying steady about 54 so Ronald Jones season everyone so will Fournette come back we'll see even if he does clearly he's not 100 percent and I think at this point 
Fournette is not taking over the backfield. I think he is droppable uh, in most leagues at this point. His best case scenario is becoming, you know, 2019 Peyton Barber, 10, 12 carries per game. If they get inside the five-yard line and there's a stoppage of play, maybe they trot out Fournette, you know, for that opportunity. But I don't think anyone other than Ronald Jones could be the person getting 15 and 25 touches. And it should be Ronald Jones. He's playing great this season. The best version we've ever seen of him. You know, career high marks in PFF rushing grade, missed forced tackles per attempt, no fumbles all season. You know, shout out Zeke. Career high 4.9 yards per carry career high 3.5 yards after contact per attempt Ronald Jones has reinvented himself as an in-between the tackles grinder and it's been great because the Tampa Bay offense continues to click more and more as they get healthier on the outside so I get it Ronald Jones has four drops this year you know does not look good out there receiving he is not anything resembling 2016 David Johnson but 2020 Rojo still a solid fantasy guy he's been an RB1 so far I don't think that persists but still think he's going to be in the top 20 RB rankings more weeks and not here moving forward. Andrew, what you got on Gruden and company? Yeah, so, I mean, the last time we saw the Raiders, it was Derek Carr leading the victory over the Kansas City Chiefs with Henry Ruggs running absolutely wild in that Chiefs secondary. And I think that this is a time where you got to look at Ruggs and think, okay, maybe this is the time where they get the rookie more involved. We saw it with DeAndre Swift. You know, teams do this. It's a legitimate, you know, thing to kind of go in and, and think about where teams like to feature the rookies a little bit more. We've already talked about how, you know, Ruggs was kind of sought after to be that, play that Antonio Brown role that J, uh, John Gruden wanted, but then he got hurt. So now that he's fully healthy, I feel like we could see him more involved in the offense, not necessarily, you know, always being the deep threat because we know the dude can make plays after the catch. He wasn't that one trick pony at Alabama where he was just going deep again. That's what he's done so far. So it doesn't make it make us look really great. But again, he can offer a little bit more. He can take slants to the house. Again, the matchup is really tough against Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. But I will say, you know, speed kills. And I think that that's one of the things that Ruggs has an advantage. You know, the Buccaneers have allowed the third highest passer rating on throws 20 plus yards downfield. To put that in perspective, that's the same passer rating that the Dallas Cowboys defense has allowed so far this year. So that's kind of putting where they are on the deep ball because, yes, they have two very good corners, Jamal Dean and Carlton Davis. But if you look at Carlton Davis as their number one corner, the guys he shadowed, Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, Devontae Adams. None of those are speed guys. None of them. They're all possession receivers. So I think that, hey, you need upside. You need upside wide receiver three play. I mean, Ruggs is your guy. And we've seen Carr, you know, he's totally transformed from captain checkdown to an elite downfield gun. Okay, maybe not an elite downfield gunslinger. I'm getting, definitely getting a little ahead of myself. But there's no arguing Carr has been, you know, much better throwing the ball deep down the field this season. His rating is number one in the NFL. On deep throws and his adjusted completion percentage ranks third at 60%. So, yeah, I mean, if you need an upside play, I'm going with Henry Ruggs. We got to give Carter the credit, man. I've been one of many Twitter trolls to hate in the guy over the years, but I don't ever think it's been an issue with the ability. The guy's always had this, you know, great arm, but I mean, even this year, still, so he's 27th in deep ball rate. You know, the amount of, like, the percentage of his attempts he's thrown the ball downfield. He was 30th last year, 33rd the year before. It's frustrating because we see him make these great throws that he's been, that he was making all over the field against the Chiefs, and then he just, you know, kind of refrains from doing it. So hopefully Ruggs is, you know, has, is the key that just unlocks his vertical pass game so far it's looked that way and Derek Carr's been playing great football with it so you know keep doing you Derek uh, if you feel like I'm blocking me on Twitter that is fine by me also I will try to be nicer uh, one more quick shout out to a sponsor before we get to the Monday night game uh, if you like fantasy football you need to be playing on underdog fantasy my favorite new fantasy football app underdog fantasy just released an all new format for their snake drafts it is called battle royale so in battle royale you draft a one week team like you normally would but instead of only competing against the other teams in your specific draft you compete with teams from other drafts this way they pull together the prize so they can offer big tournament style payouts while keeping the live snake draft format the first battle royale is already up in the underdog app and website five bucks to enter has a 25k prize pool and pays out five grand in first place make your first deposit today and be sure to use my code pff after you do to let them know i sent you uh lily please be quiet was trying to be nicer on that one to everyone apologies uh but yes so andrew i'm gonna let you hit the rams first we got bears at rams Rams, uh, seven-point favorites, down to five and a half, 46 and a half uh, over under. What do you got on the Rams? Yeah, so the Los Angeles Rams, over the past four weeks, they're facing the Bears defense that ranks second against quarterbacks, 10th against running backs, and fourth against wide receivers in terms of fantasy points allowed. So 
For that reason, I'm not really high on Jared Goff. I don't think that he's in a really good spot against the Bears defense. And I think that receivers Robert Woods and Cooper Cup should kind of be viewed more as wide receiver twos. Again, I think Cup is in a good spot from a single game DFS perspective because there's no way he can play as badly as he played um, in his last game where he was dropping the ball all over the place. Um, He actually finished week six more than 10 fantasy points under his expected fantasy output. But... And I also, too, it's been weird. You know, Josh Reynolds is also getting more run as well, you know, as that number three receiver. So I think that's just something to keep in mind and monitor. He hasn't really eaten into Woods or Cup's target share, but if he continues to kind of see more, I mean, he had three end zone targets in the team's last game. So if he continues to see more run, especially some of those high value touches, we might need to just kind of lower expectations for Woods and Cup because neither of those guys are really seeing a lot of end zone targets or targets down the field. Again, they're offering a lot of floor, but not a lot of upside in a run first offense. But I would say, I mean, if you're looking for a tight end, I mean, Tyler Higby has been kind of, you know, hasn't been great this year. He had that one game where he blew up. Um, he is coming off his highest yardage output of the year, 56 yards. Um, and the Bears rank seventh in targets and fifth in red zone targets allowed to the tight end position. So I think that Higby is probably in a really good spot. And also, you know, Sean McVay, you know, reportedly had talked up Gerald Everett, said they're going to get him the ball more. So obviously that means Tyler Higby is going to see 12 targets. So uh, Sean McVay lies. So you just got to play Tyler Higby. Do not believe his lies, everyone. Yeah, good stuff there. I think uh, you called Robert Woods and Cup out as trade candidates a few weeks ago. I think that holds true. Offenses, you know, like past Seahawks teams or the Vikings this year, they can be run first with two fantasy relevant wide receivers, but we need them to have some sort of fantasy friendly targets downfield or in the red zone. As you mentioned, that has not been the case with the LA Rams so far. Uh, Quickly on the Bears, look, you're starting Dave Montgomery, Allen Robinson, that's it. Maybe in a pinch, Darnell Mooney just be running out there. But man, it's Allen Robinson. Only DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, and Adam Thielen have a higher percentage of their team's target share than A-Rob. You know, Foles knows who the number one wide receiver is. He will continue to feed him. I think we'll see the chemistry continue to get better as the year goes on. And against the Rams team, that has not been asking Jalen Ramsey a shadow really for this entire season. I think A-Rob can win. Even if they do decide to go against the green and put Ramsey on him, I do think Robinson has the sort of route running ability to give Ramsey problems. And then Dave Montgomery, everyone. So uh, last three weeks without Tariq Cohen, he has played 85%, 81%, and then 85% of the of, of the Bears' offensive snaps. Only Mike Davis had to you know a higher percentage of his offensive snaps last week. And we've seen that turn into fancy production. Volume induced, sure, but we don't care. We just want the production and fancy football land. That's why we spend so much time on, you know, talents, you know, quote unquote talents like David Montgomery, who, you know, we watch the same games you do, everyone. Like, I understand this dude is not the most explosive guy out there, even though his, you know, broken tackles numbers are good. Uh, obviously not, you know, anyone's idea of a top 15 real life running back, but he has been the PPR RB 13, RB 14 over these past two weeks. Don't be afraid to go back the well with Montgomery in this spot. Thank you everyone for tuning in today to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Andrew, thank you as always, brother. Let the people know what you have in the docket for this week. Yeah, so I've got some articles coming out. We got Stardom Sim coming out this week. Some looks at high value touches and opportunities. We got some sneaky guys in there that you're going to want to take a look at. You know, people are getting a lot of targets. Albert O, man, four end zone targets. That's a lot for a tight end. So <laughs> a lot of stuff like that, you know, some weekly review with the rankings. So yeah, you know, go check it out. PFF.com. And I'm at Andrew Erickson underscore on Twitter. Go check out that goodness from Andrew. And yes, I'm happy the fantasy community has collectively just decided Albert O will work for Albert O himself. <laughs> That's going to do it, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm Ian Harditz. He's Andrew Erickson. Until next time, take care.